Hey everybody, it is Mike Petralia, Trags, back with the latest episode of the Jungle War podcast. And this week, I it is my sincere pleasure to welcome back a good friend and a frequent guest on the program. Well, I don't know if frequent is the right word. He is an occasional guest of the program. I'd like to move it up to a frequent guest eventually down the road in 2023. That is the one and only Dan Horde. He is the play-by-play voice of the Bengals radio network, does a phenomenal job, as any Bengal fan knows, uh, who listens to the broadcast with Lap uh, in the Bengals booth. And in the latest edition of the Bengals booth uh, podcast, Dan has the pleasure of speaking with Mike North. He is, uh, as Dan so eloquently put it in his tweet, uh, the guy, the NFL executive largely responsible for putting the NFL schedule, which comes out Thursday night, all together. Hey, Dan, how are you? Mike, I'm great. I'm wearing a Bengals t-shirt as we do this podcast. I should have worn my three-timers jacket for being a three-timer oh. on your podcast. I'm looking forward to the day that I'm a member of the Five Timers Club, just like Saturday Night Live. Uh, but thank you for mentioning yes. the podcast. I did that interview with Mike North from the NFL last night around 9 p.m., so less mm. than 48 hours from this big moment where the schedule <laughs> gets released on two different networks, NFL Network yep. and ESPN2. Mike North, while watching his kid's soccer game, is recording a podcast with me, so it was very gracious of him to do it. It's the second year in a row he's been my guest and he is fantastic at talking about how the sausage is made in putting together this incredible puzzle that is the 272-game NFL regular season schedule. There are one quadrillion possibilities. A quadrillion is a one with 15 zeros after it. Oh. So that's how complex trying to get this puzzle together is. And Mike is really interesting when he talks about it. So I encourage people to check out that podcast if they have the time between now and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Uh, he stayed on with me for about a half an hour. And it's the uh, I am waiting. I'm trying to remember the name of that particular episode. But it's the most recent episode of the Bengals Booth podcast. Awesome. Uh as you know, and I know, and many NFL fans know by now, there were a lot of changes implemented in the schedule this year. Did he get into that? And if he did, what did he tell you about why and how those changes will be implemented? Yeah, I think we got into all of the changes this year, and there are a lot ranging from the first ever Black Friday game. Mm -hmm. We know the Bengals are going to avoid playing in that because they announced that game earlier today. I think that's Jets and Dolphins, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. In New York, Black I Friday believe. Game. Yes. Uh, but Monday night games can be flexed for the first time. You know, it's one thing when you go from Sunday afternoon to Sunday night or vice versa two weeks in advance. It's very different to go from a Sunday to a Monday with two weeks notice late in the season, which I think will happen at, at some point this year. So that's new. Teams can play more than once on Thursday following a Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, that's new. They've, they've allowed more teams uh, to do that this year than ever before. So that's going to happen to multiple teams. So there are quite a few changes and Mike discussed them in that podcast. You surprised Jacksonville's going overseas to England twice? No, I'm not. Of course, Jacksonville plays a home game in, in London every year. They wanted right. to try to brand themselves as London's team. So I think the idea of playing a home game, quote unquote, a home game, and then staying a week 
and playing a road game makes a lot of sense. They're not taking another game away from their fan base. Their second game against Buffalo is technically a Bills home game. So they're just making a two-week adventure out of it. And I think it it doubles down on that notion that Jacksonville is trying to be London's team. I guess what surprised me the most about the Bengals playing the Chiefs on New Year's Eve, uh, 4.25 Eastern time, uh, on a, I believe, network to be determined, or do we know if that's CBS yet? That's a CBS game. Okay, so on CBS. I think the thing that surprised me the most about that is it wasn't the first or second week of November. And the reason I say that, and I think you know where I'm going with this, is back in the Brady-Peyton Manning rivalry, it was almost a sure thing that the Patriots and Colts or Patriots and Broncos would play on that first weekend in November for sweeps. Has that changed? I think it has changed. I think the NFL looks at 425 window games and primetime games as their most important inventory. And they're looking to put great games into as many of those time slots as they can every day uh, is rated, whether it's in a sweeps period or not. And a New Year's Eve Bengals Chiefs game at 425 in the afternoon is going to do a, a gargantuan number yes. if the teams are healthy and as good as we expect them to be. Last year, of course, the NFL put Buffalo and Cincinnati in the next to last game of the regular season, what turned out to right. be the DeMar Hamlin game. So clearly the NFL thinks of the Chiefs and the Bengals as two of the teams that are likely to be in the Super Bowl mix. We certainly expect that to be the case. And they wanted that game to be one of the last weeks of the season in that 425 Sunday slot to draw a gigantic number. And it's also, it's a, you know, it's a favor to CBS. They're trying to make all of their network partners happy as much as they can. They know that CBS, which more or less is still the AFC network. It's not quite to the same extent that it used to be, but Correct. CBS is going to lose a lot of Chiefs games and Bengals games to Sunday night football, to Monday night football, to Thursday night football. They wanted to give CBS maybe the best AFC game of them all, and they did on New Year's Eve. I know Teddy Karras wanted this. Uh, but I think a lot of Bengal fans, uh, pocketbooks are going to be grateful. And I'm kind of happy that I'm not doing this is going overseas to Germany. And I guess the reason I say that is, um, I kind of want to see, I, I, I don't need to see the gimmickry of going overseas and going to Germany in the middle of a regular season, uh, NFL, uh, campaign. I just don't need to see it. Well, obviously, I've been to London twice. The mm -hmm. Bengals played Washington in 2016 and then played the Rams in 2019. Those are my two or two of my all-time favorite experiences as a Bengals broadcaster. Seeing a game in London is almost like seeing a Super Bowl in that you have your 10,000 or so fans that are there specifically to see the two teams, and then you have 80,000 fans that love American football, that live overseas, sees, that converge on that particular stadium. And you see jerseys from every NFL team. It's a multi-day festival. The atmosphere outside the stadium is incredible before the game. So I've loved it. Now, having said that, there were four games this year where the Bengals could have played as the road team in either Germany or London. 
And one of the things I talked to Mike North from the NFL about last night is the fact right. that if you are chosen to be the home team in an international game, you do have some veto power over the teams you do not want to lose on your home schedule. And as good as the Bengals are right now, and as good as Joe Burrow is right now, and as popular as this team is, you can bet the Chiefs and the Titans and the other, I forget which are the other two teams that could have Bills. potentially hosted the Bengals. But in any case, you can bet oh, they said to right. the NFL, listen, we do not want to lose a true home game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, next year, the Bengals can't host an international game because they only have eight home games. The teams that host, now that there's a 17-game schedule, are always teams that have nine home games, which is the case for Bengal, the Bengals this year and will be the case again in two years. Right. Two years from now, the Bengals will have gone nine years since they gave up a home game to host the Redskins in London. They'll have nine home games. I'd be willing to bet a sizable amount of money that the Bengals will host an international game in two years. Very good. Uh, by the way, before we uh, move on to other subjects, uh, is that podcast uh, icon, uh, logo, whatever, uh, new? <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, it's it's not brand new. The Bengals changed the logo for the Bengals Booth podcast probably midway through last season. Now we have the okay. one that features the cartoon image of my head with <laughs> Bengal stripes <laughs> painted on the top. It's top notch. It uh, is. When they came up with it, they reached out to me, I think maybe a little worried that somehow I would be offended. And I was like, that is the greatest thing I have it ever is. seen. So I gave it a double <laughs> thumbs up and I think it's awesome. I do too. Um, sorry that I'm a little late to the, uh, the concert here, but uh, I know we have not uh, discussed this on your two previous appearances on the Jungle Roar podcast. So I wanted to get that out there. All right. I'm going to ask you a general question here, Dano. What has impressed you the most or stuck out to you the most about this Bengals offseason? The addition of Orlando Brown Jr. Nobody that was at the saw top of my coming. list. Yep. Yeah, nobody saw that coming. To add a four-time pro bowler in his prime that plays left tackle at the price that they got him for is unbelievable. Jesse Bates got a four-year, $64 million deal to sign with the Atlanta Falcons. Orlando Brown Jr. got a four-year, $64 million deal to sign with the Cincinnati Bengals. They got a left tackle for the exact same price as a safety got from Atlanta. Consider the value of those two positions. This is sure. nothing against Jesse Bates, who I love as a person and think is an outstanding player. But you can't possibly compare the value yeah. of safety versus Pro Bowl level left left tackle at the same price. It's insane value. And if they did nothing else in free agency, that would have been a huge success. But then to get Nick Scott and Irv Smith Jr. and Sidney Jones the fourth, I thought the free agent period, considering where they are salary cap wise, was extraordinary. I do too. Um, I did think, and I think most people feel this way. The one thing about the Orlando Brown Jr. deal that really showed we are in a new day, a new era uh, in Bengaldom is the guaranteed money and the upfront money. Did that not, the $31 million, I believe it was, did that not stick out to you as well? 
Well, it wouldn't have happened if not for that. And that's a, uh, obviously a big amount of cash to lay out there as a guarantee, right. but that's the cost of doing business to get a player like that. And when you still consider the overall dollars, it's still great value. So, you know, Katie Blackburn does such an extraordinary job of positioning the Bengals to, to never be in cap hell. You know, yes. there are years where they go a little over. There are years where they're a little bit under, but they try to keep it to a point where they'll always at least have some ability to enhance the roster through free agency. Now that could change once the Burrow extension gets done. It will change. But in any case, to this point over the last several years, the Bengals have done as well in free agency as any team in the NFL. That's not me speaking as a Bengals employee and mm-hmm. uh, you know, radio voice of the team. I think any honest observer of the NFL would agree with that. And you know, it's a big reason why they're in position to to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender again. I think the Irv Smith signing has the potential to be one of the sneaky, really brilliant moves that Duke Tobin and, and Katie Blackburn have made. We'll see. I think if he's healthy, he's a really good player. He's got to stay healthy. I, I think the thing that's interesting about the Bengals tight end situation is it seems to have become plug and play because yeah. of Joe Burrow and because of the receiving receiving weapons that they have. There's only so much a defense can do to devote resources to covering the Bengals tight end, whoever it is. So CJ Uzama had a great year and left Hayden Hurst gave them very similar production. If Irv Smith Jr. is healthy, he's going to give them very similar production. What you need the tight end to do in this offense is to get open, short option routes, catch the ball, make a guy miss, and turn it into a decent gain. They are not looking for their tight end to stretch the field. They have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd to do that. The tight end is a third down option, it's a mismatch guy in the Bengals offense and a healthy Irv Smith Jr. can definitely do those things. It's also a red zone option. And I think that's sure. where you saw Hayden Hurst uh, become really a, a dynamic weapon uh, in the second half of the season last year, where I think he had six uh, or five of his touchdown grabs. And then we all saw what he did in the postseason. Uh, certainly in uh, the first two uh, playoff games, he was dominant. And they need that kind of performance. They really do. Uh, if they're if this offense is going to get to where I think everybody feels it's going to get to this year. Yeah, it's an important position. I, they've got three guys with NFL experience who are all relatively high draft picks between Irv Smith Jr., Drew Sample, and Devin Asiasi. Irv Smith Jr. is clearly the best receiving threat of the three. The other two are more, you know, profile more as blockers than as receivers. So the Bengals are counting on Irv Smith to provide that kind of production that they've had the last couple of years. He's a different player from Hayden Hurst. He's not as big. Uh, I don't think that he'll be quite the blocker that Hayden Hurst was. Hayden Hurst turned out to be a really good blocker with James Casey's coaching. And I think Irv Smith will stick his nose in there and, and do an acceptable job. But I do think he is a faster, shiftier a guy after the catch than Hayden Hurst was. And and maybe the Bengals will get some product, uh, production where that's concerned that they didn't get out of Hayden Hurst or C.J. Uzama. As uh, you know, and I know, this week is an important one for Bengals rookies. Rookie minicamp begins on Friday, uh, and uh, it's essentially, uh, you know, 
one of those very important days for rookies to come in and assimilate themselves uh, to Paycor Stadium, to the NFL environment. And all of the rookies are expected to all eight rookies, uh, plus some rookie uh, free agent, uh, undrafted free agents are going to be in there as well, right? Correct. So who among all of the, let's just keep it to the eight draft picks, who among the draft picks are you looking forward to um, getting to see on the field and actually meet in person and talk to in the locker room? You know, we won't see much on the field. They really won't do much football stuff. They'll run around a little bit, you know, catch a few passes, but it's not like we're going to see X's and O's football stuff. But I'm really looking forward to visiting with Jordan Battle, I would say, of all of these guys, just because of the the things we've heard since the draft pick, how he wowed everybody in his combine interview, how Darren Simmons famously put a red star in his notebook and said, we have to find a way to get yes. this guy on our team. He's a player that had first round tape at Alabama, but didn't have those kind of measurables. He ran a four five five forty at the combine. But Nick Saban thought highly enough of him to start him for four years and talk about him in terms that he rarely uses in talking about his players. Nick Saban's not the most effusive guy no. uh, that the Bengals <laughs> encounter when they talk to college head coaches because he doesn't have to be. Ten of his guys get drafted every year. He doesn't have to sell anybody. Uh, but he does with Jordan Battle because that's how highly that he thinks of him and and how well Jordan Battle played and led during his years with the Crimson Tide. So I am really looking forward to starting to build a relationship with him because I just have the feeling he's going to be a solid member of the Cincinnati Bengals for a long time. Andre Yoshivas, I'm looking forward to getting to know him. And I, like everybody else, I think uh, he's going to be a fascinating character to follow in his uh, development and as well as Charlie Jones. Yeah, Charlie Jones. I, I honestly had not done a lot of homework about Charlie Jones before the draft, and obviously we all have since. And yes. wow. I mean, what an interesting prospect he is, a guy who had 110 catches last year at Purdue. And Darren Simmons is the person responsible for more or less grading the potential return guys in the draft class every year. The scouts obviously, you know, cover that when they're compiling the reports. But ultimately, Darren Simmons is the guy who is going to rank the returners every year in the draft class. And he color codes them. And I believe, I don't remember the exact color coding system that he uses, but I believe the green level is the elite level. And he gave Charlie Jones a green as a returner. Now, Charlie Jones didn't have crazy good averages as a return man in his college career, whether it was at Iowa or at Purdue. He did have a couple of touchdowns. Uh, one as a punt returner and one as a kickoff returner. But that can sometimes be difficult to gauge because of the imbalance in college rosters. If you are at Purdue and you are playing Ohio State and Michigan, it's probably difficult to run back a kick or a punt for great distances because the level of athletes that you are competing sure. against much Absolutely. better than the level of athletes on your own roster. In the NFL, that difference is very slim. In college football, it's not. So Darren Simmons knows what he's talking about when he studies return guys. And if he believes that Charlie Jones is a green, the highest level of returner that he grades every year, then I'm buying Charlie Jones as a return threat. I don't know if you buy this as well. I don't think 
most NFL teams draft specialists, kickers or punters in this particular case. Um, and not and expect them not to make the team. I think if you drafted Brad Robbins, you expect him to make the team. No. Yeah, I agree with that, but it doesn't always play out that way. The no, Bengals drafted I mean, Jake Elliott. Yeah, him I was going to go down that road. <laughs> Correct, and he didn't win the job. So Drew Christmans is, go- is going to have a chance if he significantly outperforms Brad Robbins in training camp in the preseason games. Drew Christman will be their punter in week one. That doesn't mean that they won't keep Brad Robbins around on the practice squad. Drew Christman spent most of his rookie year on the practice squad. But I do believe that, as you said, being the drafted player – gives you, you know, maybe a slight head up going into training camp, but uh, Brad Robbins is still going to ultimately have to, to earn the job with the way he kicks in practice and in the preseason games. Anything to the big 10 theme that the Bengals seem to be leaning on? I mean, we had what three or four, excuse me, four of their eight picks came from the big 10. No, I do think there is definitely something to the big school factor. There's no question about that. And the fact that several of their draft picks had played in either the 14 playoff or or league championship games was definitely considered. But Big Ten, no. I, I just think that they always favor big school players who had competed against elite competition and played in big-time games and big-time environments. It doesn't mean they won't take a Yossi Vosh like they did, but that's a sixth-round pick out of the Ivy League, not an early-round pick. What else you got on your uh, docket for the offseason? I, I always find the offseason, Dano, it's hit and miss to me. There are days where I'm like, oh, I, I – I don't really, I'm not in the vibe for writing football. And then there are other days, especially obviously when we're uh, down at the facility at Paycor, where you're really into how this roster building uh, moves along. What, uh, what strikes your fancy at, at this time of year? Well, tomorrow night is the most stressful day of oh. my year. Yes, this is true. Because I know why. Go I've ahead. Got my, my UC <laughs> schedule is already in my planner. And now tomorrow night at 8 p.m., I'll find out what weekends are going to be very logistically challenging. It's my personal version of the amazing race. (laughs) So far, everything has worked out fine for the past 12 years, but it's about to get a little bit trickier. Now that UC is going into the Big 12, the American Athletic Conference is a similar footprint It is far flung, much like the new Big 12 is going to be, but at least in the American, most of the cities are close to major airports, which is not necessarily the case in the Big 12. 12, So on those weekends where the Bearcats and Bengals both play on the road, getting from that, you know, Big 12 game in Lubbock, Texas uh, or Manhattan, Kansas might be challenging so we'll begin finding out tomorrow night at eight i'm going to be very stressed between now and then uh, but we'll find a way for it all to work out a byu game is going to be a friday night right so you got a break there correct i got a huge break there that would have been probably the most challenging game if if they had played a night game in provo utah on a saturday traveling east from west to east is always more difficult than going in the opposite direction because of the time change. When you go west, you gain time. When you go east, you lose time. So when the Bearcats play out west on a Saturday, I'm always hoping and praying that the Bengals have a home game the next day because at least I do travel back to Cincinnati most of the time with the team. Although Paul Daner Jr. this week did bring up on Monday 
the ideal scenario that you stop over in at BYU, do the game that Friday night, and the Bengals play in San Francisco that Sunday. That would be ideal for you, yes? San Francisco or Arizona. Arizona. The Bengals have two West Coast games. So, yes, either of those two would be great. Paul actually wrote about scheduling possibilities today in The Athletic. He broke it down into a series of small categories. One was named the Dan Horde Special. <laughs> which which has to do with I have to uh, making things out. convenient for me. Another example would be when UC plays at Pitt or at West Virginia, the Bengals could play the next day against the Steelers in Pittsburgh. So I appreciate Paul Daner Jr. for using that term, the Dan Horde special. And it uh, it's worth noting that in 2021, it worked out exactly that way when the Bearcats were in uh, Annapolis playing the midshipmen of Navy, uh, a closer game than anybody expected that season. The Bengals pulled it out and the Bengals were in Baltimore that Sunday night. Yeah, that was pretty fortuitous. Uh, and that's that's the only time it's worked out that well. There have been some other ones that have worked out really well. UC played at Illinois the day before the Bengals played in Chicago. So that was, you know, it's a few oh. hours away to get from Champaign to Chicago. It wasn't right. quite as convenient as Annapolis to Baltimore, but uh, I, I have caught a few lucky breaks over the years. He is Dan Horde. Dan, it is always so much fun to have you on. We're going to get you uh, quickly, rapidly. We're going to expedite the process towards a fifth appearance uh let's call it an orange and black jacket uh, for you, kind of uh, mimicking the Bengals booth podcast uh, logo. Anybody who hasn't seen it, by the way, <laughs> it is one of the most brilliant pieces of artwork by the Bengals creative staff I've ever seen. And that's not hyperbole. That is actually legit um, criticism or critique and compliment of the Bengals creative staff. They did an outstanding job and you sir do an outstanding job on bengal games uh thank you for joining me drags my pleasure always great to be on with you i look forward to appearance number four where i will wear some article of clothing with a four on it and okay. then we'll have the jacket for appearance number five that sounds like a winner he is dan horde follow him on twitter at dan underscore horde h-o-r-h O-A-R-D. He is uh, one of the very best broadcasters in professional sports, and I don't say that lightly. He is tremendous at what he does. Uh, he is Dan Horde. I'm Mike Petralia Trags. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Jungle Roar podcast.